Hello, good people. Welcome to The Chris Stefanik Show, the show that helps you find the joy that God made you for in the midst of everyday life. Don't miss us every week as we dive into real issues with real people and answer real questions. God bless you. We write stories with words on pages. God writes stories with grace in our lives. And we're going to dive into a story of amazing grace tonight with one of my dearest friends, Jimmy Wahlberg. Thanks so much for being with us, guys. Jimmy, dude, it is so good to have you with me What's tonight. Up, I just love being with you. Oh, man, I'm glad to be here. Thank yeah, you so much. No, there's, there's people who, like, when they meet you, they're like, man, you Mark Wahlberg's brother? I can't wait to meet Mark and be like, dude, you're Jimmy Wahlberg's brother. <laughs> yeah, that happens once in a while. It's going to happen. We're going to set it's that up. Good. We're going to note it. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm just so stoked to, to be with you, man. And I, and I love your, like, I'll, I'll try to get through listening to your conversion story mm. without crying. Um, though that is, that, that is gold for the show when the host <laughs> cries. So whatever. Um, I just, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for your response to the Lord and for you being here, man. But before we dive into your story, what's it like growing up in, a, in the Wahlberg family? That's not the average family. Well, so when you say grow up, yeah. right? When we, when, when I was growing up, we yeah. were a very average family, okay. right? We were a your typical Irish Catholic, nine kids, Parents that work seemingly 24 hours a day, um, lots of trouble, lots of drama. I can tell of, by your accent, grew up in California. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm a West, West Coast boy. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm from, from Dorchester, Massachusetts, uh-huh. the heart of Boston, really, um, you know, a working class neighborhood, which is now kind of a, not so much a working class neighborhood anymore. It's, people have been priced out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we grew up in a, in a neighborhood where, and in a time when, neighbors looked out for each other. Mm. You knew your neighbors, and if you were acting up, your neighbors had permission to give you a slap on to the back of the head. Back in the, in or the at the very least, they were calling your house, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. But they had permission to take action, and uh, that's obviously not the case anymore. No. You know, There's now, something beautiful about now that. Now, if you yell at somebody else's kids, they're calling the cops oh, on Oh, yeah, you, no, it's crazy. Right? And then the kids will complain to their parents if a teacher corrects them. And, uh, well, no, you no, know. no. Kids, did irreparable psychological harm to their kids child. Kids will call 911 on their own parents. Yeah, now. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, this is a different world. Yeah, it is uh, a different so world. So, how, how does that, so you got an average family, like what happens to a family dynamic when multiple brothers become world famous? Like, what, what mm. is that like? And what does that do to your psyche as a kid? So, well, first of all, this, this transition for them started to happen while I was in prison, right? So, I'm, I'm, I'm locked up. Um, and I'm starting to hear right at around the same time as my conversion, right? Right around the same time as I was approached by Father Jim Freitas and MCI Concord in Massachusetts, a a maximum security state prison. Right around the same time, I was hearing from my family members that my brother Donnie was in a music group, right? And at that time, the name... The name of the group, this was pre-Hangin' Tough. <laughs> pre-Hangin' Tough. This was, they were doing, they were doing like old R&B remakes, right? Really? And, li- and really like, uh, the, the name of the group was Nanook. Remember Nanook. Nanook of the North, right? It was like a, uh, I'm glad they changed it. Yeah, so ain't, so ain't Yeah, we. no, that wouldn't and have gone well. They, they changed it when they came out with the song. When they, when they started to do the song, New Kids on the Block, that's when they were like, wait okay. a minute, okay. hello. Yeah. Um, but the priest, so let me just say this. The priest approached me at this prison, yeah. and I was sort of running this 
game, create, trying to create this illusion that I was rehabilitated, right? Yeah, that yeah. I was all better. So I was doing self-help groups, therapy, you name it, I was doing right, it. Right. And in a lot of cases, I wasn't just doing it, but I was sort of in charge of it, uh -huh. right? And uh, so the, preach, the priest approached me and he was like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm looking for a custodian in the chapel. Are you interested in this job? And I instantly thought, well, this is going to be good. This guy smoked cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, right. right he right. had coffee, he had a phone, he had you know, just a quiet place. So I was thinking immediately how I was gonna manipulate this guy, how I was gonna take advantage of this poor priest, right? This is your, this is your, your that's mental my, space. That's the way I thought. That's and, the and, way I thought. And that I started thought. before prison. That is what Obviously, ended me up in prison. Obviously, that's what got you in prison. Yeah. So that but was my I, thought well, process. We had, we had a picture up on the screen a minute ago. Can we, can we get the close up of that one real quick? Cause okay, this is you and your brothers, yeah. right? Let's zoom in on that, that middle face here. Okay, so let me just okay, say that's, this. That's not the guy sitting here right now, dude. But that's, af that's after prison. That's after prison. That's after prison. That's, that actually, that was, uh, that was taken at a, a party for the NBA All-Star Game in Los Angeles in like 2004, I think, was the year yeah. that that was there. And Brother, you're, I, gotta, I gotta say, like, looking at your face right now. Yeah. Anyone in I Christ, was smiling on the inside. You were smiling. That's a big smile. I was smiling on the inside the there. I was really, <laughs> and I actually really had a great night. Thank God. That night, because it was the first night in, in years that the three of us had, had really got to spend some quality time together wow. and just laugh and smile wow. together. Wow. Okay, so there's that scripture, anyone in Christ is a new creation, the old is gone. Yeah. And this is a process, obviously. You, 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 you ended up in prison. Yeah. I look at that face. I look at this face. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there is an inner life and joy. But I still have a long way to go, Chris, because there are do, days, brother. there are days, like I pray, I pray that God just puts a smile on my face. Mm. Just, just, and you know, this whole mask thing, yeah. right? Like I was just oh, yeah. getting to that place where I was really put a engaging on. with yeah, people yeah, yeah. in the supermarket and smiling and, you know, and, and then they said, no, you can't do that anymore. Wow. I can't. So you had to cover that smile. And if you notice, even now, if you go to the airport, you have to yeah, wear a mask, yeah. right? And you make eye contact with somebody, right? Yeah. Where you normally might exchange a pleasantry or a smile or whatever. Right, right. You don't know what's happening no, you behind have no that idea mask, if smiling, right? You or, have no idea. Or if they're grimacing idea. at you. Right. But dude, okay, so but we, we, we jumped way ahead. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't know your story, right. and they need to. Right. Which, by the way, you got to buy the book, The Big Hustle. It's, it's, honestly, I, I, I'm not a, a big reader, right. okay? I've almost never in my life sat down and read a book from beginning to end, just like, I just like get into this and just mm. keep reading it. I actually did that with your book. So, mm. thank you, brother. Well done, man. It's beautiful. Um, let, let's just, I just want to hear, hear the whole story. Because, right. again, if people, they start with, they hear your last name. Yeah. And, and they jump straight to, hey, what's it like being yeah, yeah. a brother sure. of these guys? Um, which I, I would imagine at some phase, I mean, you're, you're in a spiritually mature yeah. place right now. I'd imagine at some phase in your life, it's like, yeah, it's a little dehumanizing because yeah. I got my own thing, yeah, my yeah, own story. Yeah. Um, what's that story, dude? What, what, you, you, we jumped into you were sure. in prison. What, what's the long journey from this guy growing up in, in South Boston? Yeah, Dorchester. Dorchester. We like to make the distinction. Dorchester. Two different. Not with an R. Two very different places, but just a bridge connecting us. Yeah. Um, so what, what, what landed you in prison, man? What happened? So, you know, I picked up drugs and alcohol at a very, very young age. How old were you? I had my first drink when I was probably eight years old. I had, it was the older kids in the neighborhood thought it'd be funny to watch the little kid drink. I drank, nothing really happened. There were no consequences. Yeah. Uh, it just, I, what happened to me was, is that I felt my first little taste of acceptance. 
and my first little taste of attention. No matter mm. what kind of attention it was, I was looking, I was starved for attention. I was lost in a house of nine kids. Nine kids. Yeah. And at Financially that point. struggling, parents yeah. never coming home from work. Yeah. At that like, point, there yeah. were nine ki- we were nine kids living in a three-bedroom apartment, mm. right? So we were, we were foot to head, yeah. two to a bed. I always had somebody's feet in my face growing up. Um, and there's something a little beautiful about that, but it, well, also it, not. There is, there is, there's beauty, but I also feel like there was a lot of, um, it was a lot of just trying to survive. I think we were all just trying to survive, right? Mm-hmm. We were all trying to find our own way, our own place, our own attention. And, um, you know, I don't think, I think my parents were probably ill-equipped yeah. to, to have nine children and to be able to attend to their needs. They attended to the needs that they, they prioritized the needs, right? Mm-hmm. Which are food and a roof, right? Yeah, Those were the priorities, yeah. right? But as we know now as parents, right? It's a lot more to the job, oh, yeah, right? And, yeah. and, and, and our children need us to, to be their spiritual guides, right? To, to, to teach them right from wrong. Not, it was me in my house, for us, it was, it was more of a, you know, my dad worked hard. He drank yeah. hard, yeah. and he came from a generation where you know there wasn't no hugging and no love yeah. and all that stuff. My mother did the best she could. My mother grew up starved for love and attention. She mm. will she would tell you that's why I had nine kids, right? Mm. Because I was lost looking for love. So she knew sort of the experience that we had yeah. because we sort of repeated that, or at least I repeated that. No, and, you, and a kid needs not, not just the, the food and someone taking to school, but someone to look him in the eye and say, hey, I love you. Yeah, yeah. Which, which uh, this is something funky too, like, the, you know, kids who grew up in Generation X yeah. with boomer parents. Yeah. For a lot of them, we were like hardworking, blue-collar boomer yeah. parents. That wasn't the thing you did. Right. In fact, look, my own dad is like, you know, I love you. It used to be a phrase when he yeah. he used to think of that like okay when I'm dying. Yeah. Uh, you get to hear that. Yeah. You know. Uh, but like that's a, that's a human need. I heard it once or twice. Yeah, yeah. I always smelled alcohol when I heard it, mm. right? And I'll, I'll tell you to jump ahead. So you associate alcohol with this acceptance? Sure, sure. And you know, yeah. in in the closeness, yeah. right? And and helping to take that wall down, right. right? To jump way ahead, my uncle, who was my father's older older brother, he was the oldest in his family. He died uh, just about a year ago, and um, he, he asked me recently, just a couple of years ago, he said, I'd love to you know, get together with you and talk. So I said, yeah, wow. I, I came, I flew up from Florida, and I took him out to lunch. And he said, you know, I want to know more about my brother. I knew him as my brother, mm. but I didn't really know him as a dad or, you know, as... Wow. Or, or, or any of those things, right? Wow. And they weren't, you know, I remember as a young kid, my father had nine children, my uncle had nine children. We lived one town away from each other, mm-hmm. but I don't ever remember spending very much time with them, wow. right? We didn't really have much of a relationship, yeah. right? And he said to me, he said, tell me about my, tell me about my brother. I want to know about my brother. And I said, um, I told him, the first thing I said was, you know, I said, I don't think I ever heard the words I love you unless I spelled, smelled alcohol. And he thought mm. about that for a second. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, consider yourself lucky because we never heard it at all. Wow. And I was, that was a big moment for me in my life, yeah. right? For me to be able to look at my dad a different way because I looked at him sort of, I was holding him responsible. I was blaming right, right, him right. 
for things yeah. that he wasn't equipped with. He was, nobody equipped him with yeah. these tools either, right? Dude, that's a key part of like the conversion and healing experience. Yeah. Like my own dad loves loves me to death, and I, yeah. I, we say I love you now. Yeah. Normally. But there, there is a, a place in adulthood. Like I see people who resent their parents yeah. for their wounds. It's like, dude, your wounds are yours. Yeah. I tell my kids, you're yeah. gonna go to counseling because of things I do to yeah, you. Yeah. Well, we. <laughs> I'm ended trying up, my best, dude. My father but those are ended up living Lord. in my house. Yeah. Right? So yeah. in in his later years, he, I when I bought my first home, we built an in-law apartment. Mm. He came to live with me. Wow. And and I did eventually hear all the things that Praise I longed to healing, hear man. my entire life. Um, and I, another thing that sort of was an awakening for me was, was that I wanted to hear these things, but I wasn't, you know, kids shouldn't have to earn love, right? They shouldn't yeah. have to earn affection. They shouldn't have to, but, you know, as a, an adult, I earned his respect, mm. right? He, he watched me raising my mm. children. He watched me as a husband. Your kids are and incredible, as a provider, by the way. Right? Thank you very I much. I appreciate kids, that. And so... We we ended up in a place that was really good and really healthy. Praise God! Right? And I was and I was so grateful for that to have Praise that God. time. You know. Um, so let's journey back to where 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 we started talking about you in prison. Right? I I also had an experience of of uh, you know drinking. Probably first time I was drunk. I was twelve before. Yeah. I, came to the Lord, it was like, that was the thing I did yep. for fun as a kid. And it was the same kind of thing, like, hey, let's feed this little kid beers yeah. and watch what happens. It's fun to watch, yeah, whatever. Um, that didn't eventually land me in prison. What went wrong? I mean, how you, you, uh, you described how there's months where you yep. were not remembering what was happening. Mm -hmm. You had an experience with a, with a cop that landed you in prison. Yeah. Tell, tell us about that. So, yeah, I mean, out of, by the time I was 12, I finished the seventh grade, mm. right? And I remember... The school telling me, or in my parents, please, he, he shouldn't come back to this school next year, right? Yeah. He, he, he's not going to be okay here, right? Wow. Because that was just, it was always drama. But that was actually the last, of my last official year of going to school. I completed the seventh grade, and How's I remember it? my last day of school was Friday. Mm -hmm. That night, Friday night, I was going out, right? And I was 12 years old. And I remember my father saying to me, don't forget now. When the streetlights come on, you better be in this house. And I was out with my friends, and when we went out, it was like five o'clock. You go out, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you got till eight o'clock when the when the streetlights come right, on. Right. And we were drinking, twelve years old, hanging in, in behind the schoolhouse. We were drinking, and I remember the streetlights coming on, and I remember looking, and I and I remember thinking, I'm not going to make it, because I was unwilling to mm. walk away from that what I was experiencing in that mm. moment with my friends and their acceptance and drinking mm. and, you know, like I, like if I went home, I was going to miss out on something. Yeah. That was June 20th or something like that, beginning of summer. I didn't go home until August. You just out I the didn't go drinking. home. I just, I, I essentially lived outside. Wow. I allowed, in that moment, I made that decision that night, I'm not going to make it home. And then after that, it's like, well, now I can't go home, right? Because he told me. You ain't home wow. by the time the streetlights come on. Don't bother coming wow. home, which was his really was an empty threat. Right. There was probably a wow. punishment or a spanking involved. But I didn't come home and wow. I and I drank and drugged and and carried on. And was it was it drugs or robbery? What landed you in jail? So it was well, it was always alcohol and drugs were behind everything. So it was either I was under the influence mm -hmm. and I was 
acting up or I was not under the influence and I was trying to get the money to be under the influence. So it was a constant state of my next drink and my next drug. Um, But I went to prison, adult prison. I was committed to the Department of Youth Services. So I was in juvenile detention, in and out. I was in foster care. I was in homeless shelters, all that stuff. I remember one time I asked, how long were you in prison? You're like, just the 80s. It was the 80s. Adult prison was the 80s. Um, And so I got arrested for uh, for an armed robbery. Mm. And essentially what that amounted to was me and a couple of my buddies out, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, drunk out of our minds. And a guy walks by and we robbed him. We Mm. beat him up. We took whatever whatever it was that he had. And the only thing he could remember the next day in the hospital, right, we put him in the hospital, mm. uh, was my nickname, Jimbo. That's all he could remember, and that's all you needed to know in my neighborhood, and right? That was it. And then the cops showed up at my, at my mother's house. I went Jimbo. to my mother's house, and I was, my brother snuck me in, and I was showering and eating, and he was giving me some clean clothes, yeah, and the yeah. cops showed up at the door. And that, wow. I left that day, and I didn't return for over five years. I went to prison. And you came out for... A little bit, and I then came went out. back in. So that five years, I was in maximum security state prison almost the entire time. Were you in solitary? I was in solitary for the last half of that sentence. For two years yeah, you were in solitary. Because what happens is, with, with someone like me that's starved for attention, you, you're, you're, mm. you're in solitary confinement, and you're looking for things to try to impress all these guys that are doing forever. Right. And these are grown men. These I'm a kid. Right. And I'm trying to create this illusion that I'm some tough guy to them. Right. Because so it's the same fundamental one that drove you to drink in the first place. Yeah. Get you in solitary. It's like someone loved me. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the thing is, is that what I became aware of many years later was was that their opinion of me was so much more important than my own opinion of me. Mm. I didn't really have an opinion of me, and if I did, it was a low opinion, yeah. right? I didn't think well of myself. I had a no self-esteem, not a low self-esteem. And so I constantly this, this is, lived yeah. for, the, for others, for their approval, and, f- and to try to impress mm. them, for them to think a certain way about me. You know, I was in maximum security state prison in Massachusetts, and I can remember, like it was yesterday, walking through the chow hall, Right. Yeah. And we're talking maximum, the, the most dangerous people in the country yeah. in some cases. Right. <laughs> Killers, rapists, murder, you name it. Yeah. And I can remember walking through this 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 chow hall is what we called it. And at each table, there's a different group of people, either by neighborhood, by the by their ethnicity, by the color of their skin, whatever it was, was very segregated. And at every table, I kind of knew somebody. And at every table, I would approach the table to say hi, and I would become more like them, right? I was, yeah. I would, my mannerisms would change. I tell you, man. My, the way yeah. I talk changed to, 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 for their acceptance. This, right? this is the devil's primary attack yeah. on us. It's an attack on identity. I think of Jesus being tempted in the desert, and if you're the son of God, you know, yeah. turn this stone to bread. Yeah. I'm thinking like, if like Jesus yeah. thinking you're gonna you're gonna trick yeah. Jesus on that yeah, yeah, one yeah, yeah, yeah. evil one give me a break yeah. but but he's got the same playbook and it's not big yeah. and he does it on everybody you yeah. know it's like who am I I'm gonna I'm gonna look for my identity in all the different places so then uh, you're out of solitary which I went out from solitary directly to the, to the streets street, like talk about zero rehabilitation yeah. from right from from maximum security state prison from from segregation 
to the oh, streets. They prison reform. They they approached my they approached yeah. my cell on Friday and said, "You're going home on Monday." So then you're then you're on the streets for six months and you're back. But hold prison. on, I try to talk them out of it. I said, no, 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 no. By my calculations, I have a couple more months left because really? I didn't have anywhere to go, Chris. I had no plan. I was and in, you know, what prison is really good at is is creating all this fear. Right. So you live every day in fear. Wow. Right. And so I'm, I'm afraid to go out to the streets. Right. Wow. Because I don't know what's out there. I know it's here. I know it's in prison. I've learned how to survive this world. Now I got to go out into that world. Right? And, I, and I know your mom showed up at parole hearings. Yeah. Well, she wrote a got, letter. Yeah, she wrote yeah. a letter to the parole board. But that was many years later. That was I got out. I, on Friday, she'd tell him to keep you in prison. Though, yeah, right? she she went to court that's, on a number of occasions and told the love, judge dude. lock him up. Yeah, but, let's see the picture of Jimmy's mom. She just passed yeah, away this past year. Yeah, God bless that six, woman. There's six, tough six love, months. man. Six months. That picture's from the I'm Boston sorry. Marathon. I'm sorry for the lost brother. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure she's we praying miss for her. You. Yeah. Um, so she showed up, got you to stay in, until uh, until the conversion happened. So let, let's. Uh, Let's jump to where, where we started, right? So you, you go in the streets for a little while after solitary, and it's yep. no surprise you ended up back in prison. Right. I know you, you, you ended up in a cop's house drunk, not yeah. knowing it, and then... Yeah, so I was, I was drunk wandering around yeah. a neighborhood, and just, it was 2 o'clock in the morning, I was checking car doors and house doors, and i come yeah. across a door that was open. It was an, an apartment. And I went in and I just started, there was nobody there. And I started collecting their belongings and putting them by the front door. Mm. And as, just as I was going to walk out the door, I thought, I'll look in the fridge. And there was some beer in there. Beer. And I sat down and had a beer and kind of dozed off. And he came home on a coffee break and found me in his home. And that and didn't go well. That didn't go well. That didn't yeah. go well. And, and him and his partner, you know, they, they, yeah. they gave me a little neighborhood justice. Yeah. And they beat me up pretty bad. And I ended up back in jail. And when I went to court, they were talking about giving me a life sentence because they consider that a, ho a home invasion, which carries a life sentence. And it was the police officer who actually spoke up on my behalf. He was like, a life sentence. He's like, look at the kid. Why don't you get him some help? He's a mess. Right? Because I was a mess. There's some good heroism yeah. in these cops, man. He was happy with the yeah. beating I got. Yeah. <laughs> the neighborhood justice was yeah. enough for him. And that's better than a life sentence, yeah. probably. So, so you're in, you're, you're back in prison. Yeah. And uh, dang, I wish we had three hours for the show. It's almost yeah. depressing. We got seven and a half minutes left. So you're back in prison. And a priest is trying to get you to help in the sacristy. Yeah. Like the, the sacristy where they prepare for mass yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. For a big event with who? <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm working now in the chapel. I got approached by the priest. He offers me this job. And um, I, I was probably working there a week or two. And he approached me. He says, we have a very special visitor coming. And I was like, really, Father, who's that? And he said, Mother Teresa is coming to this prison. Mm. And I was like, well, that's amazing, Father. Who's Mother Teresa? Yeah. Right? Because I had no idea. I probably didn't know who the president was at that time, yeah. right? Because I lived for my next drink and my next drug. Yeah. And my brain was wet. And uh, so that time between when he told me and when she came, I did a little investigation. And then, and here I am, I'm in the presence of, at, in my estimation at that time, God's number one assistant, mm. right? That's the way I looked at her. In yeah. fact, at, there was a certain point in the, in the mass when she was on, the, on her knees with the sisters from her order, and I looked over, and I, I, almost, I felt like I was looking at God. Like, that's how powerful... This is the power of holiness, yeah, man. She doesn't say anything. Yeah. This is the... I, and yeah. before she said a word... 
before she said a word, I knew I was in the presence of holiness. And then it was her time to get up and speak. Now she, wait, she, during that mass, by the way, she was, she, they, they wanted her to sit up by the dignitaries. She wasn't having it. Where did she end up sitting? She ended up on her knees for most of the time on the floor with all the inmates. She refused. Mm -hmm. The cardinal, you know, they had a, it was in the gymnasium up on the stage. You know, he had a big chair and his, his hat and the whole, you know, it was very, it's a lot of circumstance, right? It's a big deal. And they had a big chair for her, and she refused. She Brother, humbly. All yeah, the hairs in my arm are standing up. Humbly, hum, it, it was, so it was here, my first yeah, experience <laughs> with true humility, by yeah. the way. It really was. And, but here's a guy who's like, he ends up where he is because he doesn't know who he is. Yeah. Here's the holiest person I ever saw saying, I want to sit next to you. Yeah. That, that's not just like, wow, this is holy. That sounds yeah. a message of redemption. Man, that's the whole gospel. Mm. That's what Jesus did. Yeah. He's like, I, I want to, I want to sit by you guys, yeah. covered in your dirt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you, so, so go ahead, man. How did that, how did that impact you? So, so I take you to the time, the, the time comes for her to go up and to to make her remarks, and so she goes up and she starts saying things that I've never heard in my life. Mm. In fact, there was a moment where I felt like it was just her and I, like she was just talking mm. to me, you know, mm. and she was saying things like. You are more than the crimes that you have committed to, to mm. get here. You are more than your prison number. You are a child mm. of God. And that Jesus Christ died for your sins, right? And mm. I, was, I was like, what? He did what? For who? For me? And it, it just blew me mm. away. And for the rest of the day, I was kind of in a fog. But the next day, I ran back to Father Freitas and I said, Father, I need to know more about this Jesus that she's talking about. Oh, right? man, this is like need, first century yeah, stuff, brother. I need, I need to hear more about that, <laughs> right? And literally that day, he started to prepare me to make my confirmation, right? Because wow. I hadn't made my confirmation. Wow. And so he started the preparations, and I got transferred to another, another prison. He passed me off to that priest. And then I got lesser security. They passed me off to that priest. Man. And then it came time. I was in a, pre uh, in a minimum security prison, and it was time for me to make my confirmation. And I remember calling my mother and saying, Mom, I'm going to make my confirmation. I'd really like you to come. Wow. And she had made a promise to herself that she would never visit me in prison again. Because she couldn't handle it. She couldn't handle there, it. Yeah. And so she prayed on it for a couple of days, and then wow. I called her, and she said, I'm going to come. Wow. And she came, and I want to tell you, Chris, from that day, every time I spent any time with my mother, even in her deepest dementia, mm. in illness, in weakness, in, in as close to the end as she could be, mm. she always would come back to, Jimmy, do you remember that day? Do you remember the mm. day when I knew you were different? Mm. Right? She could bring it back to that day. Anyone in Christ is a new yeah. creation, man. It's a, it's a new face. You know, there was this oh, running joke in my God. family, right? And if, for anybody that ever watched Wahlburgers, it's this mom's favorite, right? Yeah. This whole thing, who's mom's favorite, yeah. right? And it's this ongoing thing. And um, it's Jimmy. And I, I want to <laughs> tell you that my mother had a very special gift of making sure that each one of us knew that we were mm. her favorite. Mm. But That's hard. That's not, hard to do. Not long before her time came. In, and I'm talking about my mother had real dementia. Mm. She had a moment of clarity. And she said to me, Jimmy, you are my favorite. And then she went beyond that and said, and here's why. And she started to talk about 
everything that I was able to overcome and all the changes that happened in my life mm. and that I was, you know, that I was a man of God now, right? And she was mm. very clear. And in that moment, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was her absolute favorite. My condolences to Mark, Donnie, and Arthur. Jimmy's the favorite. Yeah. <laughs> no, praise God, dude. Yeah, no, it's this, seriously though, it's that story of redemption. It's like, yeah. I could look at kids who had an easy time in life in my own family. Yeah, I mean, even already, I see yeah, certain sure. kids who struggle interiorly. Yep. They have no idea. The ones who really struggle and put me through hell. Yep. They have no idea. Like that, I'm watching a story of redemption unfold mm. for that for that kid. And and although some I'm sorry I'm crying. There's some kids who's like it just kind of comes naturally, just be chill. Yeah. And some kids are struggling just to function in the family. Yeah. But but the grace unfolding as they struggle just just to hit a baseline it, normal I, sometimes, is so beautiful. I think sometimes it, it's even more than that. Like I look at my brother Donnie, for instance, yeah. right? So people are getting in trouble in You're my family. You're going to cut us off in a minute. Yeah. Go, go. Getting in trouble all around my family. Some Somehow he had a gift to learn from <laughs> others' mistakes. Mm. He would watch and he would say, I'm not going down that road or I'm not mm. going down that road. And uh, yeah, I mean, listen. We all have our own journey. We, I had to go through everything yeah. that I had to go through to Praise have this, this life that brother, I Brother, I'm so grateful for, for the, the story of the Lord written in your life, and I just love you, man. Just I love you too, brother. Thanks for sharing that, dude. Thank you, man. Um, we're going to have you back to talk about how the Lord's transformed this into, into, into ministry, into blessing mm -hmm. for other people. We'll see you on that next show. Guys, thank you so much for being with us. Man, wasn't that great? Listen, if you don't want to be happy, be sure not to subscribe. But if you want a more joyful life, the kind of life that God created you for, the kind of life Jesus promised when he said, I came to give you life to the full, then make sure you hit subscribe and share this channel with everybody you know.